So let's tune in to Black Cyber, the number one, the number one podcast to jumpstart, sustain, and catapult African Americans' career in cybersecurity. Black Cyber, securing our place in the industry. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Black Cyber Podcast and the first episode of 2021. I'm your host, George McPherson. My guest today is Keon Williams. Keon J. Williams is the founder and managing director of Cyber Leadership and Strategy Solutions, better known as Class LLC, a global professional services firm that specializes in corporate governance and cybersecurity-focused enterprise risk management solutions for U.S.-based and international customers in financial services, defense, health technology, logistics, and shipping, oil and gas, cloud services, education technology, and national and local governments. Prior to Class LLC, he has dedicated more than two decades to developing and supporting programs in large regulated enterprises. Beyond security, Kian established his reputation for executive leadership as the president of the Information Systems Security Association, ISA, International Board of Directors. He currently serves as the chair of the risk committee for the global nonprofit and as a founding member of the Atlanta chapter of private directors association. Keon, welcome to the, uh, welcome to the black cyber uh, first episode of 2021. George, thanks for having me. And thanks for reading the bio. I know it was a mouthful. Oh, no problem. Uh, we got to do you justice here. Second. So, Keon, let's get into the uh, uh, Black Cyber Origins. Where you're originally from, and who was Keon Williams outside of your career? Well, so it's hard to say where I'm originally from. Both of my parents were in the military. So, our family joke is that I was produced in Vicenza, Italy, because both of my parents were stationed there. Um, being born in Italy is kind of a cool legacy. There are other cool people who had been born in Italy as well. But because I'm from a military family, I also traveled around a lot. So starting in Italy, the story leads to the country of Panama, all over the East Coast, Texas, Illinois, Virginia, and ultimately I ended up in Georgia where I make my home. Gotcha, 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 well-traveled. So uh, Keon, um, can you explain your company, Class LLC, uh, what it does in the realm of information security? Sure. So most companies focus on technical security. You got all the sexy stuff like penetration texting or penetration testing and ethical hacking and incident response. And so this company was intentionally formed to be different. We primarily focus on governance and leadership, helping people build security programs. And we also do a ton of workforce development and training which provides an opportunity to work with people at the very beginning of their careers. We also work with senior executives and help people in leadership positions understand how to manage, develop, and maintain good security and risk management programs. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so that's, a, and I like that, the concept of this program. So how does this program look different from some for somebody getting into the field and somebody in those higher executive leadership roles? 
Well, it's, it's two ends of the spectrum. You know, one of the things that I've discovered doing training for years and years is that the language of cybersecurity and everything that people are doing is really the same. The only thing that's different is how do you apply it? And so if I take the concept of access control, you have a identity and access management engineer who is going to do IAM and deal with all the practices on the implementation side. But on the leadership side, the executive still has to put the policy in place, has to develop the procedure, has to make sure that all the requirements and guidelines, monitoring, auditing, metrics, all those things are in place, but it's still access control. Are we doing single factor? Are we doing multi-factor? What are the requirements or how are we dealing with everything? Gotcha. I hope we're not doing a single factor. <laughs> I'd like to avoid single factor because it's probably the weakest, easiest thing to compromise. But at the leadership level, you have to come up with the strategy. At the practitioner level, you have to implement it. And so all of the things in the domain of security are going to cover the same topics. It's just what glasses do you put on and how do I look at it properly based on my role? Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, can you explain why risk management is such a critical component of security? And so risk management is, I think, one of the most misunderstood things that everybody should understand. And so if we talk about it at an executive level, every business person understands risk. You know, if I'm a business owner, then I've risked my capital to start a business to deliver products and services. And then the question when we look at it from a business perspective is how much risk am I willing to accept? How much money am I willing to use to produce the outcome that I was looking for? It is only when you start getting into cybersecurity that everybody gets confused. If I'm talking about business risk, business people understand it. If I'm talking about project risk, project managers understand it. If I'm talking about financial risk, your CFO and everybody understands it. And so one of the things that I like to promote in talks and presentations and in our training is that security people have to understand the role of cybersecurity risk management in the context of the business. At the end of the day, we're really just helping the business avoid some kind of outage or negative consequence that is going to prevent them from doing what they really want to do. It's much more about preventing bad things from happening or managing risk at an acceptable level rather than just going around doing compliance for the sake of compliance or because it's a requirement. Gotcha. Gotcha. That makes sense. Um, how does the practice of enterprise security look different in quarantine? Well, I think the biggest thing that has happened when you're dealing with enterprise cybersecurity is that immediately everybody went home. <laughs> so for years, you had all this conversation about bring your own device. Are we going to allow employees to store, process, or transmit corporate data on personally owned devices that the company doesn't control, and you have all of these protections in place around the organization, and none of those exist for their employees. Like you imagine that I work for a big firm, you know, it doesn't matter what industry, and we have all of these um, ISO 27000 controls in place, or if we're doing credit cards, we have PCI in place, but we have all these practices and controls that exist in the environment, and now I sent everybody to work from their house. It is very rare that organizations have had the foresight to say, hey, all this stuff that we're doing in the company, we're also going to apply to the home computers of our employees. Because the United States is a freedom-loving country, most of the time, HR practices don't allow you to force employees to install corporate-owned policies, controls, and other things on personally-owned computers. 
And so when you look at the impact of the pandemic and everybody's transitioning, the way that they do their work and the way that they operate, you have a huge set of weaknesses and gaps that exist because nobody was really prepared for the entirety of the workforce to start working from home on personal devices in a lot of cases, rather than working from the office in an environment that we understand, that we can control, that we can patch, that we can update, that we can secure. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, how does COVID-19 affect families when it comes to good general cybersecurity hygiene? So kind of switching modes from the enterprise side to just families, you know, just trying to be safe in the uh, cyber world. Yeah, well, so I have a family of seven. So my wife oh, yeah. and I have five yeah. children. And the first thing that comes to mind is, is driving people crazy. Like, you know, I don't live in a mansion. We were already doing homeschool. So schooling wasn't affected. But for most people, you just like you had employees that immediately went home, anybody that has school aged children, most of them are saying, you know, I didn't really sign up to be a teacher. I can't remember how to do um, quadratic equations for high school level algebra. And so now parents are trying to be parents. They're trying to be employees. They're trying to do everything instead of focusing on specific things at different time frames throughout the day. You know, as a parent, I'm always a parent, but most people were not prepared to be a parent, a teacher, a cook, a maid, a referee, if you have multiple children. <laughs> yep. So it's all kinds of distractions for the family, which generates a lot of stress. Um, one of my friends is the CIO for the injury department at um, the Centers for Disease Control. And so if you look at the statistics during the pandemic over the last 10 months, there has been a huge increase in fatal shootings amongst neighbors and inside homes. There's been a huge increase in domestic and child abuse because everybody's frustrated and they're sitting on this powder keg that's just ready to explode. And if you don't have some kind of relief or some kind of system that allows you to relax and decompress and get away from everything, then people start going crazy and literally acting a fool and doing things that they oh, yeah. wouldn't normally do because there's just no escape. If you're taking the social distancing and the quarantining and all the other recommendations seriously. Oh yeah. Very good points. Um, definitely a tough time. Just a lot of new hats people are being forced to put on and kind of uh, maneuver in that and try to be as successful uh, as they can in that. Um, I heard in one of your previous interviews, you have an insane home network as far as being secure. Can you explain that? And I do it's mean a, insane. I mean, I mean, this is, hey, I'm in security, so I definitely, I like it. But uh, if, For regular home users, it's probably overboard, but my career started in telecommunications. And so way back in the 90s, I was doing ISDN switching and bridging. So I have a really good understanding of network segmentation. You know, most of your security problems are because of a lack of policy, excessive administrative privileges, and you don't segment your networks. And so I try to apply those things at home. And so in my house, we have two completely separate networks. And so my ISP provides the gateway router, but I don't use the wireless from the ISP because I have no control over it. And so the gateway router is just a gateway. Connected to that router, I have two separate routers, one for the family internet and then one for my corporate internet. And so all of my corporate activities are done completely segmented, segregated, separated from anything else that I do personally. We even went the extra mile and for all of my smart devices, 
those items are on a different network than all of the computers. And then my corporate stuff is on a completely separate network. So you have three different access points inside of my house and each access point serves a different purpose. Then in addition to that, my son is 13 going on 30. <laughs> so he's, uh, you know, he's done the A plus certification. He's studying network oh, nice. plus. And so he's tinkering around with setting up firewalls and different network security monitoring things. So he kind of assists with some of the oversight of the environment. He's torn down and rebuilt servers multiple times. That was a summer project <laughs> and he kind of got carried away. So now I have IT support inside oh, yeah. my house to go along with all nice, nice. the security things going on. But at the end of the day where people say that it might have gone overboard, the purpose is really to separate things. You know, my smart devices don't interrupt what my family's doing on the computers when they're doing schoolwork. What my family is doing on the computers for schoolwork does not interact with what I'm doing for business operations because our consulting work causes me to have access to sensitive information of customers. And so that physical and logical separation of those three types of network environments and the data that they process gives me the ability to tell my customers, hey, this is lockdown, it's secure, the network that I'm using only serves a specific purpose, it doesn't matter that I'm in my house. You know, on our devices, we have the same thing. So, you know, my eight-year-old is the youngest all the way up to my 20-year-old. Everybody uses LastPass. We have multiple passwords for everything. Okay. You know, everybody knows how to log into things. Everything's secure. We don't reuse passwords, but all of those corporate practices that people normally have, I decided to start teaching and enforcing and reinforcing those practices on my children. The only outlier is my wife. She gets a little annoyed. And so she does yeah. the yeah. bare minimum, but everybody else has become accustomed to the requirements and the practices. So the environment that we operate in is much more secure than you find in other places where people are using the same password for Facebook, for LinkedIn, for Twitter, for their bank accounts, for the wireless network and everything else. And now if somebody figures out one password, they have access to everything oh, that yeah. exists within the household. Oh, yeah. Um, so what would you recommend for the average person to have as a bare minimum secure home network? Well, I think having two routers is not unreasonable. Okay. You know, if you, if you get one router for your personal stuff and your smart home devices, and you have a separate router that is dedicated to business activities, it does two things for you. One, it increases security, but two, it also gives you a more stable network connection for all your business activities. Oh yeah. And so now having five people on Xboxes, streaming Netflix, streaming Hulu, you know, on the PlayStation, playing, um, you know, shooter games on the computer, all of that bandwidth is on a separate network and all of the um, capability for real activities that are keeping the lights on and keeping us under a roof is I have what I need to do what I need to do. And part of that is because I have two separate networks. And so now the family can fight over loss of bandwidth for things that are insignificant, but I have what I need to run the business that I need to run to keep the lights on and take care of the family. I, I definitely commend that. Uh, that's, um, I, th I think most households should be that way, especially in these times. Um, I know you have a lot of great insight on prior military experience being a good prerequisite for working in cybersecurity. Um, and I'm partial to that myself. Um, but 
let's say a person doesn't have that traditional military background, what traits would you evaluate them on for potential uh, future success in the industry? Sure. Well, one of the benefits of the military is the perspective that people have. So I was in the army, you know, they use my brawn instead of my brain, <laughs> but you know, I have other family members that were in the air force. I have a ton of friends that were in the Marines or in the Navy. And I even know a couple of Coast Guard people, but across all of those branches of service, the primary foundation of them operating effectively is culture. We have good culture. Everybody understands everything. From a military perspective, my behavior was influenced by the Uniform Code of Military Justice. Yep. Yep. And so every decision that I made was compared to the UCMJ. Can I do this or can I not do this? And what is the consequence oh, yeah. of my decision? But that mindset and that thinking and that approach and using that concept in every decision that I'm making provides a really good foundation for doing security work because it causes you to think about the big picture. You know, it's not about do we or don't we do multi-factor authentication, but it's about what value does this have for the organization or what value does encryption have? You just get into the mindset where you're thinking about the bigger picture and the mission and the mission of security is to protect the organization and allow them to operate with the fewest number of disruptions. Now that can be taught to anybody. I work with a lot of entry level people who have never been in the military, who have never been in cybersecurity, almost can't spell it. But as you work with people over time and you continue to reinforce concepts and principles, once you get the big picture, you get the big picture and just you apply it to all of the work that you're doing. Oh, yeah. Um, so speaking to that, as far as uh, getting that experience, what does the blueprint look like to become a CISO? Well, becoming a CISO is interesting. You know, if you go back 20 years, 20 years ago, there was no such thing as a CISO. You know, if I go back to the 90s when I started in security, the origin of security was the advancement of interconnected networks. And your primary security executives were really just firewall administrators, yeah. which explains why most people still today in 2021 are reporting to the CIO is because security really was an extension of the IT function that supported good communications so that you can do everything that you did in the business. What is really required for you to be an effective CISO in 2021 and going into the future is understanding the scope, the context, the mission, and the objectives of the business that you're working in and all of the requirements that relate to that industry. And so sometimes I see people in financial services who are great CISOs in financial services, but the rigor and the oversight and the process-oriented approach that works in financial services does not work as well in a healthcare organization or doesn't work as well in manufacturing where you still have processes, but the priorities are different. Or in financial services, because it's the most mature industry, they also have a lot more resources and they have a lot more corporate adoption of the policies and the procedures and requirements. Whereas if I go to a retail organization, they're focused more on driving revenue rather than focusing on compliance. And so somebody who is a CISO in a heavily regulated organization has to sit back and think, hey, am I going to be able to work the same in another industry? And the same decision-making process that you make at the top is going to influence your road to getting there. And so what I encourage people to do is find an industry that you like, master that industry, and then mastering that industry puts you in a position to talk to the business people in that industry about all of our risk management principles. 
you know, what's important to a manufacturing organization is going to be very different than what's important to a hospital compared to a retail organization compared to a financial institution. And if you look at the Department of Labor, there are about 20 or 30 defined industries. You have to figure out where you fit, what aligns with your culture, your perspective, your attitude, you know, the region that you work in is going to make a difference. I have customers in California that ask me to stop showing up in a suit because they like to show up um, just relaxed oh, yeah. because it's a relaxed culture. The but culture. if I yep. show up in jeans and tennis shoes in New York, they're going to look at me like I'm a crazy person. Yeah. And so your situational awareness and the culture that surrounds you is going to be a very important item to develop if you plan to be in executive leadership because you have to be able to relate to the people who are your non-technical decision makers that have to receive information from you and apply that information to some kind of decision. And most of the time there's gonna be some cost associated with it. And so if you look at it in the context of sales, people are only buying stuff from me if they like me, if I have something that they want and I'm not frustrating them. And so being a good person and understanding how to behave in the environment is as important as all the technical skills and your knowledge of compliance and everything else. When you look at cybersecurity education, most educational programs, even the centers of excellence for the NSA, don't teach you anything about business. And so if you really want to be a CISO, I would say spend some time learning about marketing, learn about managerial accounting, learn about governance and how governance works from a COSO enterprise risk management approach. You know, learn about um, COVID and IT governance so that you can speak to everybody about everything and frame your security conversation in the context that matters to the organization that you're supporting, not just coming to the table, being the person that can say everything there is to say (laughs) about the CIS controls or the FISMA controls or the NIST controls, because you can hire anybody to deal with controls. You can't hire anybody to lead and build a program that is going to make a difference and help the organization accomplish its goals. Gotcha. Gotcha. Good points. Um, And you answered one of my, it was a question that had kind of popped in my head and you kind of answered that, but I'm going to go ahead and uh, ask it anyway. So let's say you kind of reached that plateau of being a CISO. Um, Would you agree with, and I think you kind of, alluded to that would you agree with maybe filling out different industries and getting experiences to see what it's like or would you kind of lock down to a a certain uh, industry and stay with that to be successful well at the beginning of my career i would try everything you know some of the people who are in our entry-level programs or i'm certified as a coach and so i do coaching for individuals but in all of those conversations i tell people that you have to figure out what you like Like, I don't automatically know that I like financial services. I might make a million dollars, but then I'd be frustrated and all my hair falls out. Yeah. (laughs) And so for people who want a head full of um, flowing locks, maybe financial services isn't the best industry for you. But the only way that you can learn is through experience. Yeah. You know, every type of organization is going to do cloud services. They're going to have applications. They're going to have information systems. The work that you do is going to be similar. The priorities are what's different. And so figuring out what industry that you work best in is going to be valuable. Like one of my really good friends has an entire organization dedicated to security for nonprofits. It's a completely different language. It's a completely different set of drivers and priorities, even though the approach is the same. 
you're just dealing with different people and different things are influencing the decisions that you're making. But the only way that you know that is if you worked with nonprofits. And so at the beginning of your career, as you're moving up in the world, being open to every opportunity is going to make you much more valuable when you settle on the industry that you want to work in. Because now at least you have additional perspective and context yep. about how things work in the real world, rather than being somebody who has only ever worked in financial services, or I have only ever worked in manufacturing. And now my perspective is limited to only the industries that I'm familiar with, rather than having a broad understanding of how everything works in the real world. Gotcha. Uh, thank you for that. Um, and that kind of validates uh, my path I've taken in my career. Um, you know, starting off, I was like, learn, learn about every industry and just kind of, like you said, and you really don't know what, what industry is going to be the industry you stick with. So I'm like, learn about a lot of industries and you kind of can weigh them out. And I've been in about four or five different industries. And the last industry that I'm currently in is financial services. And that was a very deliberate, uh, proactive decision. Once I had worked them, I'm, I'm like, I'm tired of changing back between different disciplines and industries. I was like, I want to find the one that I gravitate towards and I want to go towards that. So uh, thank you for that. That that kind of validates um, kind of my path in that. Um, leadership seems to be your forte in information security. How do you believe leadership skills can be cultivated during your career? Um, I think the number one thing that you can do is read. You know, for the um, for the senior people that I work with, one of the things that we have come to an agreement about is the more you read and the more you understand different business practices, the more you can apply that to the work that you're doing. And so some of my favorite publications come from the Harvard Business Review. So I understand a ridiculous amount of concepts related to business because I'm constantly reading business journals or, you know, I get industry journals like my company does work with the cyber maturity model certification, which is for the DOD. So I subscribe to the Defense Industrial Associations magazine, or, you know, I do corporate governance. So I subscribe to the magazine for um, leadership and boards. And so all of the input that I take in is related to the things that I'm focused on. And so I read the COSO framework because I do enterprise risk management and corporate governance. I read accounting books and accounting journals because we do a lot of financial management work with financial services. But the more you understand, the better equipped you are to have conversations with your counterparts who are experts in those areas. It would be the worst thing in the world to show up to a meeting with the CFO and you have no idea what the CFO was talking about. Oh, yeah. You know, they drop acronyms as often as security people drop acronyms, but their acronyms mean different things. Oh, and so yeah. somebody starts talking something about cost benefit analysis or uh, net present value, or they start talking about standard deviation and volatility analysis, and you have never heard those words before. You're like an elementary kid at the executive table. Yeah. So you have to yeah. regularly read things that your counterparts are going to be interested in. You know, some people make it as simple as saying, hey, if you're going to be a security leader, you have to read the Wall Street Journal. I say you have to go even farther than that. It can't just be opinion pieces from one magazine, but you want to have broad content coming from multiple sources, and then you can form your own opinion about these items, how they apply, and how they fit within the context of the work that you're doing for the organization. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, 
I know you had um, some pretty intense COVID-19 practices implemented last March. How has those practices changed, if at all, almost a year into the pandemic? Well, consistency is um, one of the best items that you can use if you have a metrics program. And so just like I do things in business, we have been consistent with all of our practices. And so we still decontaminate all the groceries in the garage before they come into the house. Um, you know, we still wash hands, we still wear masks, all of the protocols that were put in place, either based on recommendations from professionals or based on my background in, in chemical and biological weapons. Everything that we were doing in March, I'm still doing in January of 2021. And so now if something happens, we can say, hey, was it a failure in the practice? We've been doing the same thing for 10 months, or was it a change in the environment and the practices that we had in the past no longer apply to the present? And so consistency, I'm a huge advocate of, and we have continued to do everything that we need to do. Like I've been to four meetings unrelated to family events or funerals since March of 2020. And so for the last 10 months, I've sat in the same space, in the same spot in my house, only going to the same locations. And so any kind of outlier or change in the environment is easy to spot, identify, understand, and respond to because everything else has stayed pretty consistent. Gotcha. Good advice. Um, some people um, some people don't believe in uh, New Year's resolutions. So I'll just say, what is your cybersecurity or career major goal and your um, personal major goal of 2021? Yeah, I'm, I'm not a big fan of resolutions because I don't, I like, again, I like to be consistent, so I don't resolve to do anything new. <laughs> yeah. But um, one of the things that you do in security that's a good practice in life is to do an annual assessment. And so, you know, kind of closing out December in the beginning of January, I went through all of my emails, looked at all of my project plans, looked at things that I said that I was going to do that I didn't do and figured out where they fit in the priorities for Q1, Q2, Q3. And so some of the things that are on the list that I had not yet accomplished are one, um, I know how to use the COSO framework, but I'm going to get a certificate in aligning performance with strategy for information security so that I'm a better business person. Yes. Or, you know, I have a dozen John Maxwell books that I said I was going to read, but I spent too much time being frustrated about the Eagles and their crazy season. And so I'll probably stop watching football now that the season is almost over and spend more time reading rather than spending time on entertainment. And so all of the things that I said that I was going to do now become the items that I reprioritize at the beginning of the year. And so it's not anything new. It's just, hey, there was a reason that I wanted to do this. Where does it fit on the list and how soon am I going to accomplish it? And now I can measure my success at the end of 2021 because I had some gaps related to 2020. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I feel your pain. I'm a Panthers fan, so I've been going through it. Um, yes, yes. <laughs> um, I was trying to... Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. Um, so, uh, Keon, the Black Cyber Stage is yours. If people want to know more about Keon Williams, where can they go online to uh, 
find out more about um, the services you provide in uh, Keon oh. Williams? There's, there's two places that are going to work out really well. On LinkedIn is where I spend most of my time. Uh, corporately, we have pages on Instagram, on LinkedIn, on Facebook. I have a social media and marketing team that promotes a lot of things in a lot of places. But if you want to connect with me directly, LinkedIn is the best place to go. And I'm the only Keon Williams on LinkedIn oh, yeah. that I know of. I think there is one imposter, <laughs> but he's obviously not me. And you'll see what I'm talking about if you look us both up and you find both profiles. But the level of activity that I have also makes it pretty easy to find me. The other place is if you go to class-llc.com, that's the corporate website. Uh, for 2021, we refresh the page and the layout and everything else to kind of streamline it and make it simple. We were a little carried away with the amount of content that we had. The site wasn't as smooth as butter. And so we've kind of ironed things out. So we just say the important things. And the services are really straightforward. You know, for individuals, I am willing to talk to anybody anywhere in the world. If they just want some quick advice, it doesn't cost you anything. Connect with me, ask me a real question. Um, for companies, most of our customers range from small businesses to medium businesses. I've been blessed to help some countries develop their security programs. But the outcome of that is that anybody anywhere who needs help is going to be a good customer. Our preference is people who have to build new programs or helping new CISOs who have been hired so that we can come in and help them develop a strategy and do an independent assessment because we have no strings attached and we just wanna identify the best practices. And then if people want training, like I said, I do entry level to executive the question is, what is the best fit for you as an individual? And I'm happy to have a complimentary conversation to get people pointed in the right direction. Sometimes we have something to offer. Sometimes I'm just telling you where you need to go to find what you need. But I am not, even though I've been part of the training industry, I am not in the training industry. So I like to point people in the right direction because I'm not in this for the money. I really do want people to grow and be successful. Gotcha. Uh, thank you for that, uh, Keon. And um, I apologize. I I had lost my train of thought from the question before this question. Um, I was hearing you talk about the question. I was uh, the comment I wanted to make is I know you was talking about the resolutions and going back through old files. And I think that's how yeah, see, I, I got came. your mind going. Yeah. And that's how I came up about the podcast and, and you doubled back. And I appreciate you being on the show and uh, taking time to talk to me. Yeah, you know, I, I'm really here to make a difference. I believe in the idea that all of us are blessed to be a blessing. And God has blessed me in so many amazing ways that to freely give my time to help other people, you know, be encouraged. Hopefully I said something that leads somebody to be successful, but being able to contribute to an awesome podcast and being part of the alumni who have been on the Black Cyber podcast. Hey, I, I think it's an honor. It's great to hang out. It's great to be the first recording for 2021. Oh, so yeah. now we've set the bar really high oh, yeah. for all the oh, people yeah. who come behind me and contribute <laughs> to the show. Um, and and that's a good point. And I thank you for coming by, Keon. Uh, thank you for stopping by the Black Cyber uh, podcast. It's an honor for me as well. Um, uh, if you enjoyed today's podcast episode you can find many more on our youtube page just go to youtube and type in black cyber black is spelled b-o-a-k to check out our podcast and other content uh keon 
thank you again for coming by the uh, Black Cyber Podcast. Like you said, first of 2021, so the bar is way up. So, uh, <laughs> so that's a hey, that's a good start, and I thank you for coming by. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm I'm happy to come back anytime that you need me. And again, anybody who has any questions, I'm happy to connect and point people in the right direction. Oh yeah, thank you. You've been listening to the Black Cyber Podcast, hosted by George McPherson, securing our place in the industry. Be sure to subscribe to Black Cyber on YouTube and also subscribe to our podcast on all the major podcast networks like Anchor, Spotify, Apple and many more.